Lesson 10 for August 31 through to September 6, Living the Gospel, read by Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, August 31. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word reveals to us the gospel. The life of Jesus reveals to us the gospel. Your love reveals to us the gospel. And so does your grace. And as we open your word this week, we pray that we may not only be blessed, but we may absorb that grace that comes from you and share it with those about us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's read that again, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. As soon as we talk about God's commands, requirements or instructions, we run the risk or even face the temptation of thinking that somehow what we do can earn or contribute to our salvation or otherwise gain favour with God. But the Bible tells us repeatedly that we are sinners saved by God's grace through Jesus and his substitutionary death for us on the cross. What could we possibly add to this in any way? Or, as Ellen White has written so beautifully in Faith and Works, page 24, if you would gather together everything that is good and holy and noble and lovely in man, and then present the subject to the angels of God as acting a part in the salvation of the human soul or in merit, the proposition would be rejected as treason. End of quote. Thus, too, even our works of mercy and compassion toward those in need should not be seen as legalistic. On the contrary, as we grow in our understanding and appreciation of salvation, the link between God's love and his concern for the poor and oppressed will be passed on to us, recipients of his love. We have received, so we will give. When we see how God so loved us, we also see how much he loves others and calls us to love them as well. Sunday, September 1, For God So Loved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And the original Greek word is cosmos, meaning the world as a created, organized entity. The Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 929 says, This verse is about salvation for humanity, but the plan of salvation has implications for the whole of creation too. 
question, read Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 23. What does this teach about the broader issues in the plan of salvation? Romans 8, beginning at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Of course, on one level, salvation is about each one of us in our personal relationship with the Lord. But there's more. Justification is really not just about getting our sins forgiven. Ideally, it also should be about how, through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord creates the family of God, the members of which celebrate their forgiveness and assurance of salvation by, among other things, being witnesses to the world through their good works. Question. Read John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. How does verse 17 contribute to a broader understanding of verse 16? John 3, beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We can accept that God loves people other than just ourselves. He loves those we love, and we rejoice in that. He also loves those we reach out to, and our recognition of this truth is often our motivation for our own reaching out to them. But he also loves those whom we are uncomfortable with, or even afraid of. God loves all people, everywhere, even those whom we might not particularly like. Creation is one way we see this demonstrated. The Bible consistently points to the world around us as evidence of God's goodness. As it says in Matthew 5.45, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even life itself is a gift from God, and regardless of the individual's response or attitude to God, every person is a recipient of that gift. So to finish the day, how should it change our attitude toward others and their circumstances when we recognize them as being created and loved by God? Monday, September 2. Compassion and Repentance The intermingled stories of salvation and the great controversy call us to acknowledge a truth about life that is foundational for our understanding of our world and ourselves, and that is, we and our world are fallen, broken and sinful. 
Our world is not what it was created to be. And though we still bear the image of God who created us, we are part of the world's brokenness. The sin in our lives is of the same nature as the evil that causes so much pain, oppression and exploitation all over the world. Thus, it is right for us to feel the hurt, discomfort, sorrow and tragedy of the world and of the lives around us. We would have to be robots not to feel the pain of life here. The laments in the book of Psalms, the sorrows of Jeremiah and the other prophets, and the tears and compassion of Jesus demonstrate the appropriateness of this kind of response to the world and its evil, and particularly to those who are so often hurt by that evil. Question. Read Matthew 9.36 chapter 14, verse 14, Luke 19, verse 41 and 42, and John eleven thirty-five. What was in each of these verses that moved Jesus with compassion? How can we have a heart that is softened to the pain around us? Matthew nine thirty-six. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. And Luke, oh, sorry, Matthew 14, verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and healed their sick. And Luke 19, verses 41 and 42. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, and John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. We also need to remember that sin and evil are not just out there or the result of someone else's brokenness. First John one eight says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us." In the understanding of the biblical prophets. Sin was a tragedy, not primarily because someone had broken the rules, but because sin had broken the relationship between God and his people, and also because our sin hurts other people. This may take place in a small or large scale, but it is the same evil. Selfishness, greed, meanness, prejudice, ignorance and carelessness are at the root of all the world's evil, injustice, poverty, and oppression. And confessing our sinfulness is the first step in addressing this evil, as well as the first step toward allowing the love of God to take its rightful place in our hearts. As the next verse says, 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So to finish today, look at yourself, but neither too closely nor for too long. In what ways are you broken and part of the bigger problem? What's the only answer and the only place to look?
Tuesday, September 3. Grace and Good Works. Question. Summarize Ephesians 2, 8-10 in your own words. What do these verses tell us about the relationship between grace and goods works? Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The Bible tells us that among other things, we were created to worship God and to serve others. Only in our imagination can we try to understand what these acts would be like in a sinless environment. For now, because of sin, we know only a broken and fallen world. Fortunately for us, God's grace, expressed and enacted in Jesus' sacrifice for the sins of the world, opens the way for forgiveness and healing. Thus, even amid this broken existence, our lives become more fully God's workmanship, and God uses us to partner with Him to heal, to seek, and restore the damage and hurt in the lives of others, as we read in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Ellen White writes in the Ministry of Healing, page 103, Those who receive are to impart to others. From every direction are coming calls for help. God calls upon men to minister gladly to their fellow men. End of quote. Again, we do not do good works, care for the poor, lift up the oppressed, feed the hungry, in order to earn salvation or standing with God. In Christ, by faith, we have all the standing with God we will ever need. Rather, we recognize ourselves as both sinners and victims of sin, who are nonetheless loved and redeemed by God. While we still battle with temptations to self-centeredness and greed, the self-sacrificing and humble grace of God offers a new kind of life and love that will transform our lives. When we look at the cross, we see the great and complete sacrifice done for us and realize that we can add nothing to what it offers us in Christ. But this does not mean that we shouldn't do something in response to what we've been given in Christ. On the contrary, we must respond. And what better way to respond to the love that has been shown us than by showing love to others? So to finish today, read 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. How do these verses so powerfully capture what our response to the cross should be first john chapter 3 beginning at verse 16 by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of god abide in him
Wednesday, September 4, Our Common Humanity. By his ministry and teaching, Jesus urged a radical inclusiveness. All who sought his attention with honest motives, whether women with bad reputations, tax collectors, lepers, Samaritans, Roman centurions, religious leaders, or children, he welcomed with genuine warmth and care. As the early church was to discover in transformative ways, this included the offer of the gift of salvation. As the first believers slowly recognized the inclusiveness of the gospel, they were not merely adding good works for others onto their faith as a nice thing to do. It was core to their understanding of the gospel, as they had experienced it in the life, ministry, and death of Jesus. As they wrestled with the issues and questions that arose, first individually for leaders such as Paul and Peter, then as a church body at the Jerusalem Council, were asked to have a look at Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 20. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet, bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Acts chapter 15 Uh, We looked at the Jerusalem Council last week on Thursday, um, and we looked at the the changes that uh, some people were trying to make, which was taking people back to the customs of the Israelite society, rather than the customs of the Christian society. And so the Jerusalem Council was called, and the leaders came together uh, and decided on a way to benefit those who'd come from outside of Israel, those who'd come as Gentiles and were able to find a way to express their Christianity without rules and regulations that were not meant to be there. Then they began to realize the dramatic shift this good news had brought into their understanding of God's love and inclusiveness and how that should be lived out in the lives of those who profess to follow him. Question. What do each of the following texts teach us about our common humanity? How should each idea influence our attitude 
toward others. Malachi 2 and verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? And Acts 17 verse 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings and Romans three twenty three for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and Galatians three twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians three twenty eight, the one we've just read, is a theological summary of the practical story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan rather than arguing about whom we are obligated to serve, just go and serve. And perhaps even be prepared to be served by those we might not expect to serve us. The common element of the global human family is realised at a higher level in the common family of those who are bound together by the gospel, by the saving love of God that calls us to oneness in him. For as it says in 1 Corinthians 12.13, For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Thursday, September 5, The Everlasting Gospel The transforming invitation and appeal of the gospel to every nation, tribe, language and people in Revelation 14 verse 6 has continued throughout Christian history. However, Revelation describes a renewed proclamation of this message, the good news about Jesus and all that entails at the end of time. Question, read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. How is the common understanding of the gospel, most commonly summarized in John 3.16, included in the angel's specific message in verse 7? Revelation 14, beginning at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Revelation 14.7 brings together three key elements we have already noted in this study of God's concern about evil, poverty and oppression throughout the Bible story. 1. Judgment. The appeal for judgment, for justice to be done, has been a repeated call of those who have been oppressed throughout history. Fortunately, the Bible portrays God as one who hears the cries of those in distress. As often expressed in the Psalms, for example, those who are being treated unfairly regard judgment as good news. 2. Worship. 
The writings of the Hebrew prophets often link the subjects of worship and good deeds, particularly when comparing the worship of those who claimed to be God's people with the wrongs that they committed and continued. In Isaiah 58, for example, God explicitly stated that the worship he most desired was acts of kindness and care for the poor and needy. Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? 3. Creation. As we have seen, one of the foundational elements of God's call for justice is the common family of humanity that we are all created in His image and loved by Him, that we all have value in His sight, and that no one should be exploited or oppressed for the unjust gain and greed of another. It seems clear that this end-time proclamation of the gospel is a broad and far-reaching call to accept the rescue, redemption and restoration that God wants for fallen humanity. Hence, even amid the issues regarding true and false worship and persecution, as we see in Revelation 14.8-12, God will have a people who will stand for what is right, for the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, even amid the worst of evil. Revelation 14, beginning at verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image, and receives his mark on his forehead, or on his hand, He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends for ever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So to finish today, how can we find ways of ministering to those in need while at the same time sharing with them both the hope and the warning that are found in the three angels' messages? Friday, September 6. From the book Christ Object Lessons, page 301 and 302, we read, God claims the whole earth as his vineyard, though now in the hands of the usurper it belongs to God. By redemption no less than by creation it is his. For the world Christ's sacrifice was made. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, John 3.16. 
It is through that one gift that every other is imparted to men. Daily the whole world receives blessing from God. Every drop of rain, every ray of light shed on our unthankful race, every leaf and flower and fruit testify to God's long forbearance and his great love. And from the same book, pages 386 and 387, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, all are brought nigh by his precious blood, Galatians 3.28 and Ephesians 2.15. Whatever the difference in religious belief, a call from suffering humanity must be heard and answered. All around us are poor, tried souls that need sympathising words and helpful deeds. There are widows who need sympathy and assistance. There are orphans whom Christ has bidden his followers receive as a trust from God. Too often, these are passed by with neglect. They may be ragged, uncouth, and seemingly in every way unattractive. Yet they are God's property. They have been bought with a price, and they are as precious in His sight as we are. They are members of God's great household, and Christians, as His stewards, are responsible for them. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, in seeking to do good works and help others, how can we resist the temptation to think that this somehow makes us better and gains us merit that God should recognise? Two, is your church a community in which there is no difference, but all are one in Christ? How can it become more so? How inclusive of others is your church? Three, how do we find the right balance in doing good for those in need, if for no other reason than that they are in need and we can help them, while at the same time reaching out to them with the truths of the gospel? How can we learn to do both? And why is it always better to do both? So to summarise this week's lesson... God's love, as expressed in the plan of salvation and enacted in the life and sacrifice of Jesus, offers us forgiveness, life and hope. As recipients of this grace, we seek to share this with others, not to earn salvation, but because it is what we have been created and recreated to do. As such, the gospel transforms relationships and moves us to serve, particularly those most in need. Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Half Loaf of Bread and it's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission. Maya approached Valentina with a loaf of white bread after the worship service. Valia, please take this, she said, holding out the loaf. Valentina Forty looked at the bread hungrily. She hadn't eaten a crumb of bread in more than six months. It was impossible to find bread on store shelves in Tsukimi, capital of Georgia's breakaway region of Abkhazia. 
It was 1993, and a months-long armed conflict between Georgian and Abkhaz forces had resulted in a major food shortage. Take this, please, Mayor 45, said again, still offering the bread. This is from me to you. Valentina slowly shook her head. I can't take this from you, she said. You need it just as badly as we do. Maya began to cry. Please, take this, she said. You walked so far to help us. This is a gift that I want to give you, but you are refusing to accept it. Okay, Valentina said, finally relenting, but let's cut the bread in half. You take half, and I'll take half. The women divided the bread with a knife from the kitchen of the house church, where about forty people gathered regularly to pray and read the Bible, under the leadership of Valentina's husband, Pavel Dmitrenko, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Moments later, Valentina and Pavel left the house and started the nine-mile or fifteen-kilometre trek back to their home. Valentina smiled as she thought about the bread in her purse. She looked forward to enjoying it with a simple soup of barley and water that evening. I will make soup and we will eat it with real bread, she said. Pavel returned her happy smile. He also wanted to eat the bread. Part way home, the couple met an elderly woman on a bridge. She was thin and her clothing was filthy. She looked at Valentina. Daughter, she said with a wavering voice, would you... Happen to have a piece of bread? Valentina immediately removed the half loaf from her purse and presented it to the woman. Yes, I have, dear grandmother, she said. Please take this. The elderly woman wept as she accepted the bread. Thank you, she said, tears streaking her dirty, wrinkled cheeks. I haven't eaten in three days. You've saved me from death. Valentina and Pavel continued on their way home. They were happy that they had been able to sacrifice their precious bread. We gave the one thing that we wanted most of all to the grandmother and saved her life. Valentina, now 65 and pictured left, said in an interview in her home in Belgorod, Russia, it was a real sacrifice and it made us happier than ever before. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide by Dr. Percy Harold from Queensland, Australia. This service is brought to you by Hope Channel, the Sabbath School Department and Christian Services for the Blind. Remember, God is always faithful.